All right, well, let's jump in. And, and the, the text you have before you, again, we're in Colossians. And so by the time we finish this, sometime in 2018, I'm serious. By the time we finish this, your Bible should automatically just fall open to Colossians. Let me tell you, even if I spent the entire time from between now and the end of January 2018, there's no way we could plumb the depths of this word, but we're going to give it our best shot. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to look at just a few verses, verses 21 to 23. If you've got your Bibles, you're welcome to open there. It's printed in your handout, and we will have it on the screen. Let's hear what God has to say to us this morning. Beginning in verse 21, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, talking about Jesus, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister." And what we see here is Paul is painting a stark contrast. He's kind of putting a picture out there that's black and white. One side looks one way, the other side, you know, kind of before and after photos. He's putting it right here in these words. It's a contrast between what the Colossian believers once were and what they are now. And this is an important contrast that we need to see. There is a dividing line at some point between what was once and what is now. And I don't want you to get the idea that this is just a matter of doing. Listen, a lot of people think becoming a Christian is just about being a little bit better doing a few more things right than you do wrong, turning over a new leaf, feeling guilty when you do something wrong, that it's about doing. But, but I want to, I hope that what this will convince you this morning, if that's the way you think, is that it's not so much about doing as about being. Consider what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now he's talking about salvation here. This is important for you to hear. He says, listen, if you are in Christ, if you are a believer in Christ, you are, not you might be, not you will become. You are a new creation the old guy the old gal she's dead passed away gone listen because what god said is i'm making everything new now listen this is the reality jesus didn't simply come to modify your behavior to put a coat of paint on maybe to patch up a few holes Throw out a new rug. Just spruce things up in your old life. A few tweaks here and there. That's not going to do it. Why? Because our problem is far deeper than just a coat of paint 
on the old self. That's not what Jesus came for at all. Consider what Paul says. We were before coming to Christ. Look at this. He says that we were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Let's consider those words for a moment. Alienated. What's that mean? Well, alienated means you belong to someone else. One of the things that uh, I am in the process of doing right now is planning a trip to India. India is kind of a foreign place, right? I've never been there. Um, I I know people from there. Uh, I've read books about it. I've talked to people there. I've interacted with people there. We pray for people there, but I've never been to India. I'm an American. I was born here. My passport is from the United States of America. What I discovered is getting from here to there means that I'm going to have to get a visa. And when I go into India, when I present that visa, what am I saying? I'm saying, listen, honestly, I don't belong here. My passport says that I belong in the United States, but I'm, but I'm here. And so as far as the Indian government is considered, I am, I'm an alien there. I'm a foreigner there. And that's exactly what we're reading about here. It says, hey, listen, before we came to Christ, we were alienated. We belonged to a different kingdom. Our passport was stamped with the world, not with Christ. And so this is important for us to understand. Before this, we were were alienated. We were estranged from God. Not only that, he says, that we were hostile in mind. Now, what does this mean? It means that our mindset, the way our minds thought, the way our thoughts went, was toward rebellion. Now you go, well, hang on, wait a minute. I, I don't remember being in rebellion against God. I don't remember leading an armed uprising against God. That's not what it's talking about. The way you made decisions, the way you thought about life, thought about yourself, thought about others, was purely based on self. You were Lord of your life. And listen, when you're Lord of your life, you are in rebellion against God. And what Paul says, listen, this is how you once were. You were alienated from God. You were hostile in your mind. Your mind was in rebellion. And he goes on to say that you were doing evil deeds or evil works. Your actions, which grew out of who you were, were diseased. Now, it doesn't mean you never did anything right. You never did anything good. It just means that you were sick. You were soul sick, and it affected the way that you acted and responded and lived and, and connected with other people. And what you did was oftentimes hurtful, not just to others, but hurtful to the heart of God. See, we mostly think of sin as breaking rules. Can I tell you the truth? Sin is breaking the heart of God. Because sin is rebellion against Him. And Paul says, listen, what you weren't, how you once acted was based on who you once were before coming to know Christ. Now, you listen to this and you go, but pastor, that's really not me. 
I mean, I know I'm, never, I'm not perfect, but I'm not really that bad. I mean, there are a lot of worse people than me. I know them. I'll give you their names. And listen, when I put myself on the scale, I mean, when I think of bad people, I mean, Adolf Hitler and Charles Manson, they're kind of at the top of the list. These are really, really bad people. I don't, I don't rank up there. And I want to tell you something. That's absolutely irrelevant. According to Scripture, before we came to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, we were in active rebellion against God. And it's not that we reached a certain point and our sins pushed us over the edge. Listen, we were born with a sinful nature. You don't have to teach kids to be rebellious. Honestly, you don't. Your kids come by it natural. They're born with it. Mine were too. I loved my kids. But I got to tell you, their mindset was rebellion until they came to know Christ as Savior. Now, that's the picture over here, the before picture. But there's an after picture. And he says, now, listen, that's who you once were, but now. Oh, that's a big word, right? But now, this is the reality now, you are reconciled. What does that word mean? That basically means that you were brought back into right relationship with God. Now, who did that? Did you do that? No, you didn't do that. It tells us right here who did it. Jesus did it. He did absolutely everything that was necessary to bring you back to God. You haven't added anything to it. Jesus on the cross, when he, when he was about to expire, when he was about to give his life for your sins, bearing all the sins of the world upon himself, do you know what he said? He said, it is finished. It's done. Everything that is necessary for their salvation, everything, Father, you sent me to do, it is finished. It's complete. I have died for their sins. I have paid the price for their sins. Their debt has been canceled because of me. And we didn't do it. We receive it. We have been reconciled by the work of Jesus Christ, the completed work of Jesus Christ who brings us back in the right relationship with the Father. In Ephesians chapter 2 we read, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We were once far off. We were once distant, separated from God and from one another. But by the blood of Jesus Christ, we have been brought near. And, and near doesn't mean a close proximity. If you're out praying, playing horseshoes... So, some of you played horseshoes before. You kind of know how the game is played. And so you can, you can throw it and, and, and not get a ringer and still get points. Depends on how you play. Sometimes you have to be touching the post or leaning against the post. Sometimes you play, hey, just this is the closest one gets, gets a point here because they're closer than the others. Well, that's not, when we talk about near, we're not talking about just landing your horseshoe within six inches of the post. 
When we're talking about near, well, you can't see this, but Sean and Tona here are kind of near to each other, right? There's no daylight. I mean, they're right on each other. I mean, they're not doing anything wrong, but there's no daylight. That's near. That's the kind of near we're talking about. This is what Jesus does. He brings us right up next to the Father. What a beautiful picture that is. I mean, not Sean, not Sean and Tona, but, I, but God. Just, I mean, they're okay. But, but just being pulled next to the Father. Imagine having the God of the universe, the one who created all things, to just pull you up next to him, not because you deserved it, not because you earned it, but because his son cleaned you up and brought you near. So, what does God want to do for those who are in Christ? We're told here, it says that what Jesus wants to do is to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And now there are two aspects we need to understand of this. One is the current reality, and the other is what is taking place in us over time, what we call theologically sanctification. So let's look at the first one. Uh, The first is who we are in Christ. This is our standing. This is the current reality, and some of you need to get a hold of this today because when you look in the mirror, this is not what you see. This is not the reality for you. And you continue to beat yourself up. And you continue to be guilt-ridden. And you continue to live in fear because you have not embraced this reality. Here's what happens. If you are in Christ, Jesus paid the price for all of your sins, brought you near to God. When God looks at you, he sees someone who is holy. Holy literally means to be set apart. You're not the person you used to be. In Christ, you have been set apart. You've been made special. If you remember in the tabernacle in the temple, way back, you know, the early New Testament time and then all the way back uh, to the Exodus time when they built the tabernacle, there were instruments that they used, bowls and, and, and um, candles, candlesticks and all those kinds of things that were in the temple, tables, all these utensils. These things were set apart and considered to be holy. And when God looks at you, that's the way he sees you. He doesn't see you as you were He sees you as you are, holy and blameless. How are you blameless? You did all this stuff in your life. How then are you blameless? Well, we have a Savior who took the blame for us. He wiped the slate clean. All of my sins Jesus took upon himself on the cross. Therefore, I have been declared blameless. So I'm holy and I'm blameless and I am above reproach. What does that mean? That means, listen, no charge against you will stick. And we have an accuser 
who's constantly accusing us and may well be there on the day we stand before God in judgment accusing us, bringing up everything we have ever done, putting it up on a big chart. He's got a PowerPoint presentation. He's got this whole thing worked out and he is accusing us and accusing us and accusing us. But when God looks at us, we are above reproach because he's lifted us there. No charge will stick. Why? Because Jesus has already paid the debt. The bill has been paid in full. In Romans chapter 8, Paul would write this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, honestly, it doesn't matter. The whole world could be against us. If God is for us, we still win. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him, him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it that will condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. In other words, every accusation that Satan can bring against us, Jesus is our defense attorney. Now, he doesn't advertise on TV. He didn't put up billboards. But when you stand before God, it is Jesus you want interceding for you. All right. Now, for some of you, you heard that and you go, man, that really brought me a great deal of comfort. I, 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 I now have a better understanding. And oh, by the way, I said there are two aspects to it. There was the current and then there's the future. The, I mean, the current and then there's the ongoing. This process, of, this is what... This is what transformation is, that we are becoming more like Jesus daily in attitude and action. It's why when you go out here and you look at our sign, it doesn't say believe, belong, behave. Most of us think that's what it's about, just behaving. No, it's about becoming the person that God has created us to be that every day we're getting more like who we really are, that the outside is being changed, transformed to match the inside. Now, when we look at this, we get great comfort in that. But some of you may felt deep conviction because you also read this part. Let's read it again, starting with verse 21, our scripture. And you who once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He's now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And look at this part now. This is the part that may make you squirm in your seat. If, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. If you continue... In the faith. So is Paul saying here there's another option? That we can be saved and then at some point be lost. That there is some kind of a, a line that we could possibly cross as a believer where we could not come back. That, that if we add one more 
uh, sin to the top of this stack that God will say, okay, the deal is off. We're not going there anymore. What I want to tell you, and I honestly don't have the full time to present it in its completeness, but what I want you to know is the weight of Scripture, and I'm not talking about 5149. I'm talking about the full weight of Scripture comes down on the side of the security of the believer. That is, if you are truly a follower of Jesus Christ, you did nothing to earn it, you did nothing to reserve it, you received it by grace through faith, then your eternity is secure and you can feel confident and have a certainty about your salvation. And Paul has worded this sentence in such a way as it could easily be read, if you stand fast, as I'm sure you will. In other words, the wording of it expects a positive outcome. But I do want to give you, let me just give you one of the many instances where eternal security is found in Scripture. In John chapter 10, so the Jews gathered around Jesus, and they said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you're not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Here, here's, what, here's what he's saying is, can you just picture yourself with the hands of Jesus wrapped around you and the hands of the Father wrapped around the hands of Jesus. Could you get any more secure than that? And that's what Jesus is saying. Listen, we got you. If you are my sheep, we have you and nothing can remove you from my hand. That's a certainty that's great. Paul writes this not in order to warn the Colossians that, oh, be careful, you might lose your salvation. He writes this, how can we say this, kind of as a speed bump. As you're cruising down the road of life to slow down and really ask yourself, am I? one of the sheep do i truly belong to him and as you're thinking about that i want to ask tom robinson to come forward tom has an incredible testimony and he's going to share just a piece of it with us this morning i think you want to hear this because of where tom was and where he is now who he was once which was listen he wasn't bad. Come on up. He wasn't bad. He wasn't, he wasn't evil. He wasn't wicked. He, he, you know, he wasn't a, a, you know, some kind of crazed person in rebellion. I really want you to hear his, his testimony. So, Tom, let me just turn it over to you. Thank you, brother. When I was a teenager, I walked the aisle, Colonial Heights Baptist Church in Columbia, South Carolina. Joined the church and was baptized. Later on in my sophomore year at the University of South Carolina, I married my beautiful wife, Patricia Williams. And if the Lord willing, come next April, we'll be married for 60 years. All right. 
I'm not sure how she's tolerated me that long. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. But when I graduated, I became a member of the technical staff of Bell Telephone Laboratories in Whippany, New Jersey. And while we were in New Jersey, I, we joined Madison Baptist Church. Uh, while in New Jersey, we adopted our two children, Donna and David. And I adopted a habit that many in that part of the country have, and that is having a cocktail or two before dinner. And little did I know how that habit was going to impact my life in the future. Around 1965, late 60s, early 66, we transferred to Greensboro, North Carolina, with Bell Telephone Laboratories. And while we were there, we joined Friendly Avenue Baptist Church. After about 11 years being uh, in North Carolina, the laboratories closed its operation down and we were transferred back to New Jersey. We joined Somerset Hills Baptist Church. Not being a good Southern boy, I didn't want to spend the rest of my career and life up in New Jersey. Uh, part of it is a beautiful country, but it's not in the South. So I transferred to Southern Bell in Atlanta, Georgia in 1978. In 1979, I joined Dunwoody Baptist Church. And while in Dunwoody, this habit of a uh, cocktail or two before dinner escalated. I found myself coming home from work, going straight to my little cabinet in my den and taking out a bottle of Jack Daniels and drinking right out of the bottle. I didn't realize it at the time I was falling right in the footsteps of my dad, who had a serious drinking problem. Well, as usual, with heavy drinking, other sin enters your life, and it did in my life, and it almost destroyed our marriage. But God loved me enough not to let that happen. He broke me, but to the bottom. And when I was down there, I realized that I had head knowledge of Jesus Christ. I didn't have heart knowledge. I'd never given my life to Jesus Christ. I didn't know him, and certainly he didn't know me. That's the important thing, that he knows you. So in this darkest part of my life, I reached out to Jesus, and he was there. He's faithful, and I surrendered my life to him. And I praise him for that. My life changed. I immediately got rid of the thirst for alcoholic beverages and thirst for the knowledge of God's word. I found the best knowledgeable teacher that I was aware of at the time and invited her and yes it was a her to my house on a weekly basis and we started a Bible study and she wanted to know where do you want to start and I said in the beginning so we started at Genesis and we worked through that group at Southern Bell that I was supervising at the time the previous Christmas they gave me a commemorative bottle of Jack Daniels whiskey the next Christmas they gave me a Schofield Bible I can't think of more contrasting gifts than a, gifts than a bottle of spirits and a spirit-inspired word book. So, thank you. I was elected deacon at Dunwood Baptist Church. I was appointed volunteer director of evangelism, responsible for teaching evangelism, evangelism for outreach, and for overseeing the decision counseling for people coming forward on Sunday mornings. Enrolled in the uh, 
New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary Extension at Roswell Street uh, Baptist Church in Marietta, working towards a Master of Divinity degree. Uh, I was able to go on several domestic mission trips and participate in lay-led revivals throughout the state of Georgia and went on three foreign mission trips. All of them were evangelistic trips, not working or building trips to Venezuela, to Brazil, and to South Korea. These were mountaintop spiritual experiences and saw many people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Looking back, when I walked the aisle at Colonial Heights Baptist Church, I wasn't under the conviction or the call of God. The Holy Spirit was not convicting me. I went forward out of peer pressure. See, all of my friends who were a member of the church, Youth Sunday was approaching. I didn't want to be left out. So I walked and joined the church so I could participate in Youth Sunday. See, my, my name was written on the rolls of many churches up and down the East Coast, but it wasn't written in the Lamb's Book of Life. There's many people on today's, on, today on the church roll who are similar to me because their name there does not say that you're saved. 26 years I was in the Baptist church, baptized, member of the church, very faithful attender, but I was lost. And I just praise God for his love for me to use sin in my life to break me, to bring me to that point of understanding. And I contend that in this room today, and rather, matter of fact, every church throughout our nation and around the world, there are four categories of people. You're, you're in the category of you're lost, but you think you're saved. That's the category I was in. Okay? And I just pray that the Holy Spirit will convict you, break you if necessary, to bring you to a point of understanding that Satan has you exactly where he wants you, thinking that you're saved, but you're lost. Second category, in, in my opinion, is you're, sa- you're saved and you know it as Jimmy was talking about. And I just, you need to praise God and serve him and share him in every opportunity you get. Third category is that you're saved, but you're not sure. There's a lot of doubt there. We all have questions and doubt at times. But if you doubt, trust the word of God, what it says about your salvation. And in 1 John it says, one of the reasons it was written is so that you may know you have eternal life. And I contend if you don't have that knowledge, that confidence, then you can never have an abundant and productive Christian life. And the fourth category of people in this room, you're lost and you know you're lost. You've never given yourself, surrendered yourself to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I just pray the Holy Spirit will work in your life. If you feel the Lord calling you, convicting you of your sin and of your need for a Savior, I just pray that nothing will stand in your way of answering that call. I just pray that everyone in this room will leave today knowing they have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. How do you get from once to now? That big difference, that huge contrast, there really is no middle ground. You're either in the once category or you're in the now category. 
How do you get there? What we've been saying all along as we've been looking at Colossians is real simple. Jesus is enough. And he is. The Bible says that God loved you. He says the world, but you know, you're part of that. God loved you so much that he sent his one and only son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If God's been speaking to you this morning and saying, hey, that's, that's what you need, then I'm going to let you know that you've got an opportunity today to leave here with a certainty, that certainty that, that Tom just talked about. You have an opportunity to leave here with that certainty that you belong to him. And so when we, in a few minutes, we're going to sing one more song. And the reason we sing that song at the end and we have everybody stands, that kind of makes it easier for you to be able to respond. You don't have to say, oh, excuse me, pardon me. Everybody's already standing up. Listen, if, you, if you're in the middle of the row and you feel that God's calling you down, don't think, oh, well, i got to move all these people out of the way. I'm telling you what, they'll move in a hurry to see someone come to Jesus. Jesus is enough, and in fact, Jesus is it. There is no other hope. But for those of you who do know him, the, the scripture that Tom mentioned was the last thing that I had written down in my notes, and I want you to hear it in its fullness. It says this, John writes in 1 John 5, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has a Son has life. Listen. But whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. Would you pray with me? Father God, I want to pray right now that your spirit would move in this place in a mighty way. There may be some who simply need to come, God, in thanksgiving and in praise that you have sent your son to die for them. And they know that they belong to you. And Lord, they just want to offer a prayer of praise. For some, Lord, who are here, they know that they don't know you. They have no confidence at all that their name is written in the Lamb's book of life. But Lord, today, because of your spirit and your word, you are calling them to receive Jesus and to take a stand for him today. And I pray, Father, that nothing will stand in their way of them taking that step. Lord, there were those who came in here today who were uncertain about their salvation, but because of what you have said to them, not me, what you've said to them today. They have no confidence, no assurance, no hope that they'll see your face in anything but judgment. And Lord, I pray today that you would break that heart and break that spirit so they, like Tom and like me, who had already said, hey, I'm a Christian, already been baptized, already been to church. Father, that today you might just break through, reveal the truth, so that that man, that woman, that young person might leave here with the certainty that they belong to you and have a home with you forever. 
And Lord, for those you need to reinforce that faith, Lord, I pray that you would call them simply to trust you, believe you, and to find the strength in other believers around them so that they can have that blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. Lord, you do your work in us now, and we will respond as you lead. In Jesus' name, amen.